All right, today we are going to continue on on kind of that environmental values lecture. This is that second half. And the second half of the environmental value is what we strive to do, and that's to have a sustainable ecosystem so that our resources are usable not only for our generation, but all future generations. So a sustainable ecosystem means that we are living within the means of nature, that we aren't taxing nature to the point where, yeah, I get a salmon dinner, but no one else in the world will get a salmon dinner because there are no more salmon. So it's the use and management of resources in a way that allows full natural replacement, which means, yes, I can take a salmon for dinner, but there are enough salmon left out in the environment that they can reproduce so that next year there will be a salmon that I can have for dinner in the year after. It allows for the full recovery of the ecosystem um, that's been affected by the extraction and resource use. So if I go in and log that I know that I'm doing it in a way that that forest can grow trees again so that I can log again in the future. Sustainable development means that yes, I can still build my homes and my factories and my roads, but I do it in a way again that doesn't compromise the future, that allows for future life of not only humans but animals. It's a culture that survives by depleting its resources is unsustainable. That's the theory here, that if we take and take and take, that eventually we're gonna run out of what we need to survive on this planet. What we do know is the way we've been living as humans, 60% of the world's ecosystems have been degraded, which means they are no longer functioning in the way that they originally did before humans came about. 25% of the Earth's land has been cultivated, and you need to realize that we were already, of the entire planet, we had 25% that is land, the other 75% is ocean. And then of that land, not all of that land is suitable for growth of um, crops, right, or of cattle. And so think about like Antarctica or up in the tundra of Alaska or Canada. We can't grow our crops there. So of what we can grow crops on, of all of this land, we've already cultivated 25% of it. And so if we don't treat that soil and that land in a sustainable way, we're gonna run out of land that we can grow our crops on. We have utilized 40 to 50% of all of our fresh water. And California, we're in a hurt, right? Um, we did have one or two wet years after a 10 year drought but we've used so much fresh water that California is actually sinking. So if you think about these huge lakes underneath our state, as we pull water up out of those lakes, now there's an empty void, an empty cavern, and we are sinking into that cavern. 25% of all species of fish have been overharvested. That means that we have taken so many fish from the ocean of that species that it cannot naturally replenish itself, that it can't keep reproducing and replacing what we've taken. And that 20% of our coral has been lost, which means it's not coming back. Coral takes you know, hundreds of years to develop into the coral that you know. And 20% has been degraded, which means it's at risk of completely dying off. Ecological overshoot is something that you're going to look at when you do your ecological footprint, but it's the day of the calendar, essentially, when we go into debt into the future. So it's the point at which our current use of resources is now unsustainable. Think about our resources as money in the bank. 
and we only have so much money. So when we talk about the fish stocks and the timber and the land and the fresh water, you only have so much of it. And it's gotta last, right? It's gotta last for all of mankind. And so you have a certain amount that's allotted for yearly use. Well, overshoot day is that day where now we've used all of our resources for the year and we are going into debt in the future. So um, I wanna say it's somewhere in August. So from January to August, we're using our allotment for the year. And then from August to January again, now we're in debt. We're borrowing essentially our resources from the future. That's not a sustainable method. Eventually we will run out. We're gonna measure sustainability and how well we're doing by a couple of things. Socioeconomical measures here, gross domestic product. As the gross domestic product, in other words, as your, your country gets richer and richer and richer, you use more and more resources. We know that in a country with a high gross domestic product, we have high resource use. Think about all the things that you used today. Does someone who lives in a small rural village in Africa have access to those same things and what resources were needed to create those things? Um, as life expectancy increases, so does our use of resources. If you live longer, you are going to use more resources. And then there's a little what we call gender priority, which means that men tend to use more resources than women. I really can't explain it. It's just statistically men are worse at sustainability than women. Um, when we look at the ecological sustainability indicators, air quality. We know if air quality is bad, it's an indicator to us that we are using more than our fair share of resources. If water quality is bad, we tend to be polluting. If we're polluting, we're using more of our resources. And as we use more of the resources, we have more environmental vulnerability. There is a difference here, two different terms that you need to understand, natural income and natural capital. Natural capital is the actual tree, um, the actual water the animal. It's the goods and services that the environment is gonna provide the human. Um, when we talk about ecological services, I talk about erosion control. So an estuary is going to prevent my farmland from eroding because the tides come in and hit the estuary and the power of the tides is diminished. And so it doesn't erode the soil, right? Um, flood control, recycling of nutrients, all of these are ecological services. That's a natural capital. Natural income, then, is the money I get by cutting down that tree and selling it. Natural income is the money I get by paving over that estuary and putting a shopping mall in place. So natural capital is the actual natural thing that's growing, whereas natural income is money in hand. We have, since the 70s, decided that if we are going to do anything in the environment, we have to, in our country at least, make an environmental impact assessment, which means if I'm gonna build a road that goes out behind Tesoro High School, I have to present to the city and to the public this environmental impact assessment. Um, the environmental impact assessment was part of the 1969 Natural Environmental Protection Act, and it weighs the advantages of building that road against the disadvantages of building the road. So what good is gonna come of it and what potential harm will come of it. Now, just because there's harm doesn't mean that we're not gonna do it. 
It means we acknowledge there's harm and we're going to now present to you the ways that we're going to try and overcome or minimize that harm. We're going to look at the microclimate. So the conditions right around that building site, the biodiversity that could be impacted by that building site, the scenic value. You know, a, a road is not as nice to look at as the natural hills. And the amenity value. So what's the benefit to putting this road in? Well, if you are someone who lives in Rancho Mission Viejo, having this road that's now gonna connect the toll road down south is a huge amenity to you. And so you're gonna balance that kind of nice, easy drive with the impact on the biodiversity of the animals that now are restricted in their movement, of losing the beauty of the hills, of having noise in that area, we have to balance these things. It evaluates the current environment and predicts what's gonna to happen to the environment in the future. So I'm gonna look and see what's going on now and then I'm gonna say, okay, in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, how is this road gonna impact? If you've driven on the toll roads, you know there's not a lot of traffic. But if you're gonna buy a house that's next to the toll road, maybe you wanna think 15, 20 years down the road and say, well, what happens if traffic increases? Is my quality of life gonna be the same? That's what environmental impact is doing. What's gonna happen in 15 or 20 years to the animals that are living in that area, to erosion that might occur, to noise value? It includes the impacts on human populations, and we really do play in this precautionary principle. Can I get enough amenity value out of my building that I can justify the harm to the environment? Can I mitigate the harm enough that it allows for me to have this amenity? We're going to use it for new roads, for airports, for power stations, dams, mining, housing projects, factories, you name it, you pretty much have to file an environmental impact assessment. The different parts of an EIA, environmental impact assessment, that's the abbreviation, is to first identify the impacts. So what animals are living in that area? What's going to be negatively impacted? And then predict the scale of it. Is this really a huge um, disturbance for the mountain lions? Or can I come up with a way for them to get around it? And then devise a way to limit the impact. If you've driven the toll roads over to the 91, there are actually underpasses that are allowing animals to go from one side of the highway to the other. And then there's fencing that keeps them off the road. But if they should get on the road, there's escape hatches. So we are trying to minimize the impact on wildlife by still allowing this road to connect through. The weakness of an EIA is that different countries are going to have different standards. This is why a lot of people are going to build in countries other than the United States. We tend to have stronger standards than the rest of the world. And it's hard to identify some of the indirect impacts. It's hard really to look forward. It's really hard to envision what 15, 20 years is going to look like with this project. And these are really expensive. Um, you have to get a lot of scientists together and a lot of technicians together. And you have to get politicians on your side and you have to get the public on your side and hold meetings. So this is a lot of money out of your pocket if you're a developer, but it is required by law. Last thing here is an ecological footprint. This is how you measure your kind of um, impact on the environment. 
And so when we do that, we look at how much bioproductive land is necessary for you to live. How much bioproductive sea is necessary? So how much seafood do you eat? Um, how much grain and cattle and all that do you eat? And how much land is needed for that? How much land is needed to make the energy that you use when you use your phone or your cars? How big is your house and how do you impact the biodiversity? You guys are gonna go through a worksheet that's gonna give you your um, ecological footprint. If you look at this foot over here, the size of the circle kind of shows the size relative of the ecological footprint. And you can see United States and China, we're up there. We have a huge ecological footprint. And then that one small thing activity you're doing is designed to decrease your ecological footprint. All right, that's it for today. Have a good afternoon.